Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our series about Jonah. In this series, we dive into his book and discover how Jonah's story sometimes mirrors our own. And now with part two of this series, here's Pastor Reed. Good evening again. Grab your word and turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's kind of a difficult book to find. You're going to go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Turn back eight small books and you'll get to Jonah. That's probably the best way I can tell you to get there. Jonah chapter 2. It's just a couple of pages in my Bible. It might even be one page in yours, depending upon how big your Bible is. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The scriptures will be on the screens to either side of me. And you can also download our YouVersion Bible app. It's not our app. But you can download that app, and there is, if you click on uh, live events, and then search for a live event, and then you'll find Christian Life Church, and you'll find the Jonah uh, talk tonight. So you can, you can follow along on version apps on your smartphones. A little review in case you missed last week. So we're talking about Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. Prophets had a tough task. A tough task. They were having to go into difficult environments, talk to powerful, powerful people, and give them directives that were difficult to share, okay? For example, in the Old Testament, there was a time when the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, or sometimes you see it referred to as Judea. In the northern kingdom, they had a propensity to put into power wicked men, wicked kings. And so you had these wicked kings that would come into power in Israel, and so these prophets oftentimes would have to go to these kings who really could kill them. I mean, they have that kind of a power and authority. These kings are powerful men. And they'd go to these kings and they would say, you need to stop your wickedness. And these kings, they would worship false idols. They would abandon God's law and abandon God's covenant. And so these, these prophets would go to these kings and say, you need to right this ship. You need to repent of your sin or God's going to judge you. But even in that context, at least those kings knew God. They may not be following God, but they knew God. And they believed in God. They may not be following God, but they knew God. And so that was, that was difficult, but it was easier than Jonah's task. Jonah was tasked to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a, peop- a people that did not believe in God, did not believe that God exists. It's a major city in Assyria, about 750 B.C. And so he's supposed to go to these people and tell them that if they don't repent of their wickedness, that God's going to judge them. Now again, God is a fictitious character to them. And they're a wicked people. The Ninevites were a wicked, wicked people. In fact, Nahum, another book in the Bible, tells us that they practiced prostitution. They practiced idolatry. They practiced witchcraft. Uh, They got the gold medal for murder in the Olympic Games. They're just a wicked people. And here Jonah is being given a directive by God, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent of their ways, or I'm going to judge them. And you can understand the dilemma Jonah's wrestling with. Like, wait a minute, God, you want me to go tell them to repent of their wickedness? But they don't believe in you. (laughs) But I know what they do believe in. They believe in murdering guys like me. So Jonah, like you and like me in that instance might do, ran from the Lord. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jonah ran away from the Lord. And I have a map. I showed you this last week. This is where Jonah ran. So he was near Joppa, which is the A point on the map. And he was supposed to go northeast to Nineveh. And Jonah instead got on a boat and... (laughs) He went as far as he possibly could go. In fact, this is as far as the commercial trade route would go at that time. He went to Tarshish. Okay, so he says, God says, go northeast. He says, I'm going to go west. (laughs) In Jonah's mind, he's like, I want to go to the other end of the world. That's what that meant to Jonah. I want to get as far away from Nineveh as I possibly could. Now, while he's on this boat, 
there is a, a huge tempest that begins. Huge tempest. And the sailors, who, who, that's what they do. They navigate storms for a living. Even they're getting nervous. And they're beginning to panic. They're throwing their cargo overboard. That's profit. And they're calling out to any God that will listen. And then they figure out that Jonah is the cause of this problem. He's the cause of the storm. And so they go to Jonah and they said, what do we have to do to stop the storm? What do we have to do to you? And Jonah said, you need to throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Well, they didn't like that plan because they knew that would mean imminent death for Jonah. And so they said, well, let's try to row harder. So they rowed more fervently and they rowed more fervently and they rowed more fervently. And the more fervent they rowed, the more the storm intensified. And they had no other options. So they said, okay, we, we've got to throw him overboard. So they throw Jonah overboard. The sea grows calm. And then verse 17, we showed you this last week as well. Verse 17 in chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now last week I explained a couple of things. First of all, I talked about that I believe this story to be true. 100% authentic. And the majority of the people in this room also believe this to be true. They believe the Bible to be true, including this story. Now, I don't want to go into the historicity again, but if, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go onto our, our website, onto our podcast, clcaustin.com. And listen, I gave some reasons why I believe this is historically accurate, why I believe this story to be true. But I gave you a pass. I said, even if you don't believe in the miracle, even if you don't believe this, if God's real... If God's real, then a miracle can happen. A miracle has to be a possibility because God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But even, even if you don't believe that, that's okay. I'm going to give you a pass because I don't want you to miss the message of Jonah because you can't get past the miracle. I don't want you to miss the message of Jonah because you can't get past the miracle. That you, if it's too big of a whale's tail to swallow, see what I did there? It's okay. I give you a pass tonight. That's okay. All right? Because I, the intersection between our lives and Jonah's life it's so important. Jonah is a story of a man who ran from God. And that makes Jonah's story your story. And that makes Jonah's story my story. Because I promise you, everybody in this room, I would wager, everyone in this room at some point in our past and or our present have at some point run away from God. And you might have done it overtly. right? You're open about it. You tell everybody, I'm running from God. Or it might be more covertly. You, you don't really... You may not even notice that you're doing it, but you're running from God. And when I say running from God, I mean running from God's will. And you might holistically be running from God's will. Like, I'm, I'm running from God. I want nothing to do with Him. I said last week, sometimes we confuse life with God. And when life doesn't go well, then we don't want any part of God. And that's how we work our way through that. So some of us are all together just running from God. But sometimes it's just an aspect of God's will. Right? I'll give you 80 to 90%, but this... This 10% I'm going to hang on to. I really like this part of my life. I know you don't approve of it, so I'm just going to do this. I'll give you 90%, and I'm going to keep this 10 for myself. And Jesus is saying, you got to die to self, die the whole self. And you're like, ah, I'm going to hang on to this. I think everyone in this room at some point in our past and or our present have either overtly or covertly run from God, run from his will. I've heard people say that if I could just, this is the way they, they don't word it this way, but... It's almost like they think if they can turn down their conscience enough, suddenly their conscience will stop bothering them. I've actually had people say that, that I, I, they have a date planned. I mean, all but say I have a date planned of when I'm going to stop running from God. I had a gentleman tell me one time, he said, well, Reed, I, you know, I'm just really enjoying single life, and 
I'm doing stuff that I know God wouldn't approve, but when I get married, when I get married, Reed, I'm going to settle down, I'm going to get some kids, and I'm going to be that man that my mom and dad raised me to be, that brought me up in church, and I'll, I'll, I'll get my Christian values right, but I'm going to wait till I get married. <laughs> Maybe it's something more temporal than that, somebody, somebody that would say, well, Reed, I, I've got some big plans for spring breaks, but big plans for Padre, and I don't think God would approve of those plans, so if you'll just let me have this spring break, then I'll come back to God in April or May, all right? We run from God. We run from God. But last week we learned this important lesson that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. And we learned another important lesson that we're going to see tonight in the text in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah discovers something else, and I think we'll discover the same thing, that because God is love... Because God is love, okay, and he is love. First John 4 says that God is love and love comes from God. God is the personification of love. God embodies love. God, because he is love, God is thorough in his discipline. Yeah, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, think about it. I'm a father. I said this last week. I've got two boys. If I did not love them, I'd let them do whatever they wanted to do. Because I don't care. I don't love them. But because I love them, I want them to be responsible. I want them to be respectful. I want them to honor their elders. I want them to not talk back to their mama. I want them to do those things. So I'm going to discipline them. And my discipline has to be thorough. And it's because I love them, not the opposite. Because God is love, God is thorough in his discipline. I love this text out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son he delights in. So God may discipline us. And, and it's not because he doesn't love us. The opposite is true. He does love you so much. And that's why his discipline must be thorough. He does this discipline not to pay us back. It's not to pay us back. But to win us back. To win us back. To bring us back. And it could be very possible tonight that you're in a situation like Jonah and a storm has come up on your life. And God is not bringing that storm in your life to pay you back for anything that you've done, but to bring you back to him. To win you back. And to bring you back into his arms. All right, so we're going to start off where we left off last week. In Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And this is, so Jonah's in the fish. And we're going to get to see this beautiful prayer of repentance that Jonah has in the belly of this great whale or whatever it might be. So verse 17 Again, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And I love that. I love that no matter where you are. If you're inside of a whale at the bottom of the ocean, God, you can, you can pray to God and he'll hear you. And he'll answer you. We're going to see that in just a second. He said, verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord. In my distress, I call to the Lord. Isn't that true? In our distress, that's when we call upon the name of the Lord. It's when things go wrong. That's when we start. It, it doesn't matter what it is. You, you know, you're staring at a pregnancy test. You don't want to be pregnant. You start praying. I don't even believe in God, but God, if you're real, you, you'll change your theology on that one. Uh, if, you're, if you're real, if you can get me out of this mess, I will go to Africa. I'll be a missionary. I'll get 20% of the church. You know, you'll start bargaining with God. You're sitting in the back of a police car. You're standing next to a hospital bed. You're in the hospital bed. You have distress in your life. You're, you're driving home. I'm about to have a conversation with your spouse. And you're like, God, if you just let me get home, don't let her hear the news before I have a chance to tell her the news. 
Whatever the distress might be, that's when we call upon the name of the Lord. In our distress, we call upon God. And, and no matter what you've convinced yourself of God beforehand, all that goes out the window. Circumstantial uh, brokenness overpowers our theology. Circumstantial brokenness overpowers our resistance towards God. Uh, many, many years ago, I was, I was 16 years old. Not 15 years old. I take that back. I was 15 years old. It was September of 1996. And uh, my, my two best friends, I have two best friends, uh, Caleb and Brad. And they've been my best friends since junior high. Brad even earlier than that. And Caleb, uh, his parents owned a pizza shop in Snyder, Texas. That's where I grew up. Owned a pizza shop. My mother's here. She's never heard this story. This is really good for her to hear tonight. Uh, it's been a long time, so maybe she'll let this one go. <laughs> Uh, but we worked at a pizza place. His parents owned the pizza place, and I was a delivery driver, and he was a cook. And his cousin, who was in college, who was kind of popular in college, she was a waitress. So we're just kind of killing some time. <laughs> his cousin said, hey, I'm going to a party tonight. And there was going to be alcohol there, and that really did not interest us, really. But she said, there's going to be a lot of my friends, and that interests us. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, all right. So cute college girls. We're 15. He just turned 16, and we're like interesting where is this said party and so she starts talking about this and it, she told us about a place i'd never even heard of this place and it was called the bridge that was the name of the place the bridge and she told us how to get there you turn down like five dirt roads it's in the middle of nowhere it's a literal bridge and it's just kind of out on the outskirts of town so that nobody no public eye would see them right partying and so we hear her talking about this and we're taking really good notations of how to get there and so we get off of work and we go pick up our other friend brad and we're like, let's go to this party. Now, this is, this is honestly, this is a 15-year-old planning. We really don't have a plan. The plan is we're going to drive by, and we're not even going to get out of the car because she's already going to be humiliated that we're there and mortified, as cousin will be. But we wanted to see pretty college girls, and maybe one of them will jump in the car with us. I don't really know what the plan was, but we're, we're just going to drive by and look at them and giggle. I don't really know, but that's the plan, and so we're going to go check out these girls. And so we're driving out there. Caleb had a little Mazda uh, stick shift and we're driving out there and making all the right turns. And we get over the hill and we see the party. And it is a party. But you know who else saw the party? The whole Snyder Police Department. <laughs> they were all there. They were busting this party. There's lights going on. And so we panic, right? So he hits reverse and he backs up and he hits the bar ditch and then he drives away. And we're just like, our, you know, our, our, our hearts are pounding out of our chests. And we're just waiting for the last to come up on us, because we were coming to the party, obviously, but they didn't. So it was quiet for like five, six minutes. And I said, Caleb, you know when you backed up, you hit a tree. And he goes, no, I didn't. I, I just hit dirt. I said, dude, I saw the tree come over the car. You hit a tree. He goes, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. So we're on the interstate now, so we pulled over on the interstate in, in the shoulder, and we got out of the car. I've never in my life seen Caleb so pale. He, he turned like ghost white. His entire trunk was indented like a perfect V. And the Mazda emblem was bent in three places. Still stuck to the back of the trunk, but it was a horrible wreck. And he turned ghost white. And I knew why he turned ghost white. Because his father had a, had a really bad anger. He had a, had, a, had a temper. Some dads do. And I'd seen his dad's anger come through. And I'm thinking, this is not good. He, you're going to die. You're going to die. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I just have one best friend now. <laughs> you're over. I'm sorry, Caleb. I mean, I... I literally feared for his safety. I was so scared. I'm thinking, this is, he hadn't had his license very long. So we go to Brad's house, and we're trying to think of a plan. And all we can think in our distress, we're like, let's call upon the Lord. So we all got together, <laughs> and we joined hands, and we're just praying. 
And we prayed, it seemed like four or five hours, probably 45 minutes. We just prayed, Lord, just don't let him be angry. You know, in his anger, don't let him sin. You know, we're just praying for his dad and praying for his dad and praying for his dad. And we spent the night there at Brad's. And the next morning, we're like, okay, let's go face the music. So we pull up to Caleb's house. And he went in to get his dad, and he said, Dad, I need you to see something. And his dad came out. No kidding, this is his demeanor, and this is his tone. And he looked at the car, and he looked at Caleb and said, well, you're going to have to pay for it. And he walked back in the house, and that was the night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're real! I believe! I'm in! <laughs> Not really. But that's what he did. And we were just like... God answers our prayers. And we became prayer. We, we, we started praying all the time. We started meeting every morning and praying. We, we, prayer works. Unbelievable. But in your distress, you do. You call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we do when we're not in distress. You may not believe in God, but you get in a, in a distress moment, and you will. You'll challenge your own theology and say, God, well, if you are real, I could take a hand from you. I could take some intervention on my behalf. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he answered me. Oh, I love that. God will answer your prayers. He'll answer your prayers. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So he just repeats himself. He says, I'm deep in the realms, and I'm calling out, and he heard me, and he responded to me. Here's a man who probably shouldn't be responded to. God said, go this way. He said, I'm going to go the exact opposite direction. And yet, this part of repentance that Jonah is praying, then God answers his prayer and responds. Let's keep going. Verse 3. You hurled me into the depths. I love that. Jonah's connecting the dots here. He's got clarity. He said, the sailors didn't hurl me into the depths. It was you. You were in control. They were just your instrument. I get it. You hurled me into the depths. Into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah recognizes it's God who's in control. Verse 4. I said I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And then we get to the most interesting part of the prayer. Because remember what just happened. Jonah rebels. He runs from God. He gets on a boat. Storm starts. People are panicking. They don't know what to do. They find out Jonah's the cause. They throw Jonah overboard. The sea grows calm. At what point in this process do you think Jonah finally repented? You think it was day two in the fish? Think it was the afternoon of day three, the morning of day one? Like at what point did Jonah repent? I believe it was the moment that those sailors tossed him overboard. And the one and the two. Are we going to throw on three or are we going to do three and throw? Three and throw. And the one and the two and the three and the... And I bet it was right at that moment, he's like, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I repent. I believe it was at that moment that Jonah repented. And one of the best things that we can do, one of the best things we can do, church, is to associate our rebellion with pain. If we can associate our rebellion with pain, that's one of the best things we can do. When I grew up, when I grew up my, my father spanked me. And I'm actually glad that I was spanked, so don't send me letters. There are some of us in the room that are glad that our parents spanked us, and there are some of us in the room that wish your parents spanked you, but that's a different story for a different day. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad my parents spanked me, my mom, my dad, my mom didn't, but my dad did. I'm glad that my dad spanked me, but he was trying to associate rebellion with pain, trying to associate rebellion with pain, and, and when he spanked me, 
he was trying to get my attention, and, and here's the thing. As soon as I saw my dad pull out his paddle, we had a little breakfast nook, and there was a cabinet by the breakfast nook, and when he pulled out the paddle, I was a new man. <laughs> I was repenting. I'm sorry. I love you. I'll be a good boy. I'll eat my vegetables. I'll eat my sister's vegetables. I love you. I'm so, you know, I, I was a new man, right? I remember one time, my dad got home from work, and I get it now as a dad. Sometimes you get home, and you just need quiet. You just need just a minute just to stop. And the TV was on. I was eating at the breakfast nook, and he was eating at the dinner table, and, and, which was in the same room. And I had the TV on, and the news was on. I'm seven or eight years old. I don't watch the news, but it's on. And so my dad said, son, would you turn off the TV? It's very polite. Would you turn off the TV? And I said, I'm watching the news, <laughs> which I wasn't. I don't even know why I said that. And so he stands up, and I know where he's headed, to the breakfast nook. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll t- I turned it off. I don't even like the news. You know, I'm just, I was a new person. He didn't even have to bring out the paddle. I associated my rebellion with pain. And that's a really good place to be. It's a good place to be. And you know what he did? He spanked me. <laughs> I deserved it. But I associate rebellion now with pain. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing. God's discipline is thorough. And if we'll associate our running or our rebellion with his... That's why sometimes he allows us to go through... Let's keep reading. Read verse 5 and 6. It says, the engulfing waters threatened me, Jonah writes. Can you imagine? You're just in the water. No help. The deep surrounded me. This giant fish or whale swallows him. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He's in the belly of this fish now. And everything that's in the belly of the fish with him. It stinks and there's seaweed and it's gross. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. Now this whale is submerging to the bottom of the sea. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. God's discipline is thorough. When the nation of Israel rebelled uh, in the Old Testament, God sent them into captivity for 70 years. Probably could have gotten the point after seven. <laughs> after seven years. Okay, God, we're not going to intermarry with pagans. We're not going to worship false idols. We're good. Thanks, God. Seven years. Please get us out of captivity. Seventy years. It's a little overkill, right? When they were in the wilderness and they disobeyed God, 40 years they had to wander in the wilderness. Forty Again, they probably got that a lot sooner. When David disobeyed God, God wreaked havoc on David's family, wreaked havoc on David's reputation, wreaked havoc on David's kingdom and on his authority. He was humiliated in ways that go far beyond what would it take to teach David a lesson. But sometimes God's discipline has to be thorough for us to associate rebellion with pain. So we don't rebel again because we don't like the pain that it causes. So sometimes God has to allow that to happen. And, and the entire time that David was being disciplined, God never abandoned David. Never once abandoned David. God is love. But because God is love, his discipline has to be thorough. Verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then verse 8. This is, this is it. This is the, the high point of the passage. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When you run away from God, you're running to something or to someone that Scripture says is a worthless idol. And whatever you thought that worthless idol was going to provide for you, you get to that worthless idol, you're going to find out it's not near as good as what you gave up to get it. It's not near as good as what you gave up 
What scripture says God is God's love. Not that God stopped loving you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's Romans 8. But that you would lose the experience of God's love. That you lose the experience of God's love to pursue that something or someone that is an idol, Scripture says. They realize that what they ran to is not worth what they gave up. Runners miss out on the experience of God's love. And the reason we know this is true for all of us and not just for Jonah is when we get to that moment of distress, when we have that distress moment... We're not calling out to that something or to that someone, but who are we calling out to? We're calling upon the name of the Lord God. Get me out of this. Get me out of this distress. We're not calling upon the something that we ran to. We're calling upon that which we left behind. God, please, get me out of this mess. Because we know, we know that God loves us. We know that God cares for us. But oftentimes it's not until we're broken or until we're caught that we realize that we made a huge mistake, a huge lack of judgment, and We ran to something that was a worthless idol, Jonah says. Verse 9. Randy, why don't you come up? Come up and... uh... Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And I want to keep going a little bit. I want to go in the first few verses of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Why did it come to to Jonah a second time? Well, because God did this not to pay Jonah back, but to win Jonah back. You've got to get this. If he wanted to pay Jonah back, that fish wouldn't have spit Jonah back up. But he spit it up and he gave him a second chance. And he did that not to pay Jonah back, but to win Jonah back. Look at this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give you. What do you think Jonah said this time? (laughs) Whatever you say. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Here's the thing. You may feel tonight that you are somehow disqualified from serving God because of your past mistakes. But I want to just say that tonight, none of us are qualified to do the service of God, to do the work of God. None of us are. None of us are qualified to do God's work, but you may have another shot tonight. You may have another chance tonight. In fact, you do have another chance to do to, tonight to return to him. So here's what I want to do tonight. I teased this last week, and I said, if you're running from God and you know who you are, God's in the rearview mirror, he's in your peripheral somewhere. If you're here tonight, you're running either from all of God's will or maybe just part of God's will, but man, God's convicting you right now. I mean, you're sitting there and, and you're uneasy. You just want me to get done and let's get out of here. You're uneasy right now because you know. <laughs> you know your heart. I don't know your heart, but you know your heart and you know that somewhere deep inside you're running from God. Tonight, I want to give you a chance to tangibly, visibly, audibly, to confess that and say, God, I'm I'm done. I'm done with the run. Some of you did that last week, and it was a beautiful moment when our prayer partners came, and some of you confessed that stuff, and some of you held on to it for another week. Well, Jonah's prayer of repentance came in the belly of the great fish, and this is your chance to come down and make your prayer of repentance before the Lord. And and I know know pride can, can, can interject itself here. And you go, I don't want to go in front of all these people. There's a whole lot of people in here. And if I go before everybody, they're going to know that I'm running from God or that I'm running from God in an area of my life. You know what? 
I have more respect for you if you come down and you admit that and you confess that before all of your brothers and sisters in this room than if you can't do that. When somebody confesses sin to me in my office, I, I always say I have more respect for you now than I did five minutes ago. Because I know that's tough. I know that's tough, but there's something beautiful about visibly in, in front of everybody in the church saying, hey, I need this. I need Jesus. I need God. I want to repent and turn. I'm, I'm done with the run. And I want to confess this to my church and to my family and to my spouse and to my boyfriend and my girlfriend and my kids. I want them to know that I'm fully surrendering to God. I'm fully giving my life to Him. I'm done. I'm done with the run. I'm not doing this anymore. I repent, Lord. And no matter how bad that mistake was, no matter how low you got, if you're at the bottom of the ocean, God will hear you and He will always answer that prayer. And say, son, daughter, you are forgiven and I love you. Let's start over. I've been chasing you. I've been waiting for this moment. I wanted to win you back. And today, we celebrate victory. So prayer partners, I want you to come. We've got a few minutes and we're going to dismiss. We're going to go celebrate those graduates. But I don't want to think about that. I want to think about this right here. Because God is speaking to some of you right now. And I want you to respond. So prayer partners, why don't you come? Prayer partners, why don't you come? All they are is people that love you. Want to pray for you. Okay? Some of our prayer partners might need to turn around and say, you know what? I need to give God this area of my life, if we're honest. We all have issues. This is a chance for you to confess and say, God, I'm yours all over again. Stand to your feet. Let's pray together. And that concludes today's message. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Austin ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast.